Let's read from the Bible together, if you've got your Bibles with you. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 3, 12. Ephesians 2, 11 to 3, 12. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law, consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you, who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building, being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. This is God's word to us this morning. Well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, if you are new, my name is Mike, uh, lead pastor here. And uh, as Michael, the other Mike, has uh, shared, we are starting a new uh, series this week. So let me begin by saying why are you here? 
Uh, well, should, the tone's kept, that we should be careful with that, right? Uh, why, why did you come to church this morning? Not kind of like, what are you doing here? Uh, why did you come to church this morning? Uh, well, it could be it's just because what you do. That's fine, that's great. It could be you're thinking, well, Christians are nice people. Well, they can be. Why do we bother with this thing called church? Uh, and I just want to say, if you are new, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, I'm just trying to make people think about uh, why we do what we're doing. And on the why and the what, uh, since I've been here for now five months, uh, people are starting to come to me, Mike, keen to hear what your vision for the church is. I'm like, me too. Um, (laughs) I do have some thoughts. (laughs) But whatever we say in this space, whatever we say in this space, has to spring up from a conviction uh, that stems from what God has done and what he said to us and promised to us uh, in Christ and by his spirit. For this is his church. Not mine and not yours. Every church has the same vision even, to make disciples of all nations. And so, welcome to this little mini-series, The Life of the Church. We're unpacking gospel foundations for why we do what we do. And it's a three-part series, and I'm hoping that maybe over uh, years to come, uh, we might be able to return to this series as a way to explore different aspects to church. But for this year, uh, I'm going to start with, uh, with what's on the screen, the public household of the Spirit-filled church. Uh, I'm going to condense that phrase down, which I've drawn from the words of Ephesians, down to the simplicity of church as a family on mission. It's going to take me a little while to unpack that, but it's going to take us months to unpack that, and I'll, t- I'll talk more about that later. I'm just saying that to sort of tease your interest. Uh, next week, um, uh, I'm going to look at God's love in action as a way to talk about Christian care and charity. Uh, and then the third week, Isaac's going to speak to being a welcoming church. Uh, not that we're not, but just that we might keep being a welcoming church. And here's our signposts for today. Uh, we're going to look at church as... Um, Church as a new humanity, looking at the first part of that reading. Uh, Church as a royal household. Church as a public household. Our place in this and what next steps we might be taking as a church. And uh, as uh, I I gleaned this idea from someone who I'll speak to, um, uh, speak about at the end of the sermon, but um, as a way to kind of interact with this, not only am I going to do a Q&A, not only, uh, you can can use the QR code and click a little button that'll say sermon uh, response, and, and I want you to grab a phrase that stands out from today, a little phrase, or even a word, or a feeling. And you're going to chuck that into that anonymous form, and it's going to appear in a live word cloud uh, on the screen. And I'm doing that just so that we might start gathering up what God is doing with us, what He's speaking to us this morning. That's an unmoderated thing, so be careful, please. Okay, church as a new humanity. It is too small a thing to just come to church. That's, a, that's not how we should think about church, because we are the church. I mean, you go to the shops... You go to the movies, you go to friends' houses, you don't come to church, you are the church. The backstory of Paul's writing here in Ephesians, and do keep the scriptures open, um, I encourage you to do that, good, good way to sort of hold me accountable, uh, questions might come from it that I don't get to in the sermon, uh, but the backstory of Paul's writing here in Ephesus is that we were dead in our sins, dead in our sins. You can't do much when you're dead. Despite God pursuing a people in love and mercy, uh, we had rejected Him and we were dead in our sins. His own people had failed and in their failure, they didn't shine the light of hope to the world around them, a world that needed it. The whole world was estranged from God their Father 
And while God had made promises to Israel, we, the Gentiles, everyone else, were excluded from citizenship of Israel and we were without hope. But, but now, Paul says in verse 13, oh, I love a good gospel contrastive but, but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I mean, such a lame metaphor or analogy I'm going to use here, but imagine you wanted to go to university and you felt like that would unlock a whole new calling for your life and sort of possibilities, but you couldn't because you didn't have the money and you didn't have the marks. But one day, the uni, out of their own sort of generosity, gave you a full scholarship and welcomed you into that new life. You could not do that on your own means, but you were gifted that to unlock a whole new life for you. How much more incredible is the church? That place where people who didn't just have the resources and marks to be sort of a religious person, not that that's a good way to describe the church, but were dead in their sins. You couldn't come into the presence of God because you were dead in your sins and God is holy and you were under judgment, but by grace were gifted new life in Christ. And now we discover the peace, the joy, the new life of kingdom living, the new humanity because of Christ's blood shed for us. Now, I'm using the phrase new humanity. I'm picking up on the way Paul says in verse 15, uh, how he has, God has, Christ has created in himself one new man from the two. Now, he's particularly talking about, and this is sort of a bit of the backstory, that the Jews and the Gentiles as two people, he sort of categorizes them. And, and, and Paul's saying that Jesus has made the two one. And when he says man, he kind of means people even, actually. And by that, I'm just saying new humanity. Christ has made a new humanity where there was Jews who had failed to live up to God's promises, had failed in the covenant, didn't shine out the light of hope to a world that needed it. And we Gentiles were estranged from God, dead in our sins. God has taken both of those and made a new humanity in Christ. And we get to experience that new humanity, that kingdom living that we've been brought into in the church. The only thing that unites us, friends, this morning is not because we have a common interest in anything particularly, not even a common interest in Jesus. We're not interested in Him. No, no, we have been saved by Him. We are saved sinners. That's the only reason we come together this morning. And we've been brought together from all nations, once alien, far off, and by doing nothing of our own, but by sheer power of God's mercy and love, we have been gathered. So Paul says in verse 19, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. We are now members of God's household. Now, the vision that I've inherited of this church that's kind of spelled out in sort of um, uh, the, the 2020 vision and, and a bunch of sort of documents, and you'll see it kind of written on some of the things that we have here at church. Our vision is to be an ever-growing, diverse church family. I love that. Why do churches so often describe themselves as families? Is it some quaint hang-up from the 1960 Christian family values thing? Nope and nope. It is because 
God has given us the privilege of calling him Father. We are members of God's household. Household being that familial connection we have with God our Father and Christ our brother and the Spirit filling us. For every one of you here who are looking for belonging, let's find it in the household of God. For every one of us looking for a sense of security, for a love that transcends, to kind of form the way we do relationships, let's find it in the household of God because you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are, I'm going to sound like Oprah here, one for you, one for you. But we are children of God, brought together and in His family, the household of the living God. And we have access to this through Jesus and by the Spirit. What do families do? It's a funny kind of thing, isn't it? They don't really, I mean, they, they, just, they just be. I mean, does your family have like a, a, a vision and, and a strategy? I'll tell you what, I found this. I, I, my family has a coat of arms. Um, my mum's into kind of family trees and stuff, and my hasty comes from Scotland, I think. Uh, I stopped listing after a while. But I got, I got this. Uh, and I, if I wanted a high resolution, I'd have to pay $11. Um, but <laughs> families don't typically have vision statements and strategies. They just, they do dinners. They do holidays. They try and kind of hang out and like each other. You know, you can't choose your family, you're kind of thrust into it. And uh, I'll tell you what, I've just come off the weekend of uh, up in the mountains with my parents, uh, my brother, uh, their kids, my kids. Hey, this is pretty good. <laughs> and if, if your family isn't filled with happy memories, or you don't have a family, let's, let's find all our sense of identity our belonging, all that we'd want out of a family, in the family of God that transcends any other relationship that we have. Church as a family means we ought to find ways to love each other. As I mentioned, families can be tricky sometimes. And in the same way, we are thrust together not because we like each other, but because we are saved sinners. And we should expect as saved sinners that there's going to be some tension, that we're going to bring some baggage to the table, so to speak. But with God at the center, as He delights in us as His children, and we delight in Him as our Father. Let us find ways to to love one another. But not only that, we are a a royal family, a royal family. Uh, If I jump down to chapter 3, Paul describes us uh, Gentiles in verse 6 as co-heirs with Christ. Heirs. An heir is someone who shares an inheritance with, with one or more people, a co-heir particularly. Uh, now, if I think of, say, Prince Charles, he's the heir of Queen Elizabeth. It looks like she's never going to die, so we're not going to have to put up with Prince Charles. But I guess at one point, he will inherit the Queen's rule. Friends, we are co-heirs with Christ. Not only have we been brought into the intimacy of a family with God, but He has given us the privilege, the responsibility to be co-heirs with Christ. This is like no other family you've ever known. You are called into the highest of privileges. Check out this grand statement, verse 21 of chapter 2. 
in Christ, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. In the Old Testament, uh, we have these grand images of the temple. You know, that kind of moment where Isaiah was commissioned uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah's freaking out because God is so big, and the, and the temple is, is kind of rumbling, and, and God's presence fills the temple, and the angels sing, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is the, the presence of the living God in His holy temple that you cannot just walk into because He is too holy. God had to atone to kind of bring Isaiah into his presence. Friends, that whole imagery is now us. (laughs) We are a a living temple in whom the, the living God dwells among. Do you get a sense that I'm talking about us? (laughs) Like, we, we we just rocked up this morning kind of to to do church. Friends, let us take up all that God speaks of when when He calls us to Himself and when He calls us into the privilege of being His church, His gathering. Church is the Spirit-filled household of the living God. You don't just go to church, you are the church. But there's more. (laughs) Because it's not good enough to describe the church just as a family. Let me tell you what I mean. Just in case you were getting comfortable of meeting in this building, or or even perhaps the next building, or or even if you were feeling comfortable in, in sort of just doing fellowship together, as though kind of you'd made it. The grace that called us into existence, us the church, into existence, the grace made known by God who left the glories of heaven into the kind of muck and mire to pursue you, to pursue us, to reach us, to save us. That is a God on the move. And now He prompts us to also be on the move. And it's a shame how bricks and mortar get in the way of us thinking like that, as though we kind of settle down and kind of just do it here, and go through the motions. Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 3, You have heard about the administration of God's grace that He gave me for you. The way God forges us by His grace, we now pay forward in the most extraordinary way. He goes on in verse 8, This grace was given me, the least of all saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. So we don't get to domesticate grace. We don't get to say, thanks for the ticket to sit down at a nice comfy banquet. I'll just chill from here. (laughs) No, no, That, that now shapes us and everything we do. This church is a product of, and now a proclamation of, God's love. Let me say that again. This church is a product of, and now a proclamation of, God's love. For the very act of being the church is a public proclamation. And again, we don't get a sense of that because we've got these brick walls in the way. It doesn't feel like a public proclamation. But tell you what, the early church latched on to the word ecclesia, uh, a Greek word, used to describe their gathering. It meant public assembly. 
Some of you might know that. Now, a public assembly back then was that moment where all citizens of the city were summoned, and the town clerk was the one who issued the call to do a public gathering of all the citizens, and they'd talk shop about all the kind of important things that were relevant for that city. It was that public gathering to do real business. It was not a private group. Now, Leslie Newbegin, who I'll introduce in a moment, described it really well when he said this. The church is a public body that must manifest the comprehensive and restorative salvation of the kingdom. We cannot be anything other than public. Now, Leslie Newbegin, I think, is worth introducing to. Uh, his life spanned most of the last century. He was a Scottish minister who was forged in the service of God's work as a missionary in India. He spent nearly four decades in India uh, and did amazing things. He returned at age 65 to be a, a lecturer in the UK with a fervent heart for the West to be woken up from their slumber because he'd come from pouring himself out in the mission field to come back to kind of like quaint little village churches just going through the motion. And you can imagine what that must have been like for him. And so he's written many books, uh, preached many sermons, gave many lectures, calling the church to take up the mantle, to be mission-focused. Our public nature as a church is extraordinary. And, and it's put in the most broad terms in chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul says that his multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. It's not even a pu public proclamation just to kind of the guy across the street. It's not even a public proclamation to kind of the people in, in Parramatta City. This is a public proclamation to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. And who's God using to make this public proclamation? The church. Us. This is no mere suburban church. It is a cosmic outpost proclaiming that Satan has not won, rather he's been defeated, and that Jesus is God's Messiah and God is on the move to seek and save the lost. And God has chosen us to carry this message in our lives and words in the church gathered and scattered. We are part of history, friends, part of God's theatre for His glory to proclaim Jesus as Lord. He has made us co-heirs of Christ, proclaiming this good news. So friends, when we sing at church, we're not singing some kind of cheer-up tune. We are proclaiming, we are belting out a proclamation that Jesus is Lord, that we are His people. It's a proclamation to the heavens, and it's a cry and longing for people to be gathered. When we gather in fellowship, we're not just hanging out as Christians. We are taking up the identity of a family forged by grace, longing for others to join, always discontent with the sense that there's more who could gather to find what we have found in Christ. All of this is because we are a family on mission, because that is God, who God is, and it's what He's called us to. We're not just a family. So we're not allowed to domesticate it just to a kind of gathering around the Sunday table and that's kind of our rhythm of what we do all day, every day. 
but we're also not just a group of activists that are desperately pouring ourselves out in everyday action. We are both. We are both a family that enjoys one another's company, or tries to, have forged in the love of God, and we are a family on mission, always looking outward, always holding out the grace that we've received, because outreach and proclamation isn't just something we do, it's who we are, because it's how we've been brought together. Now, as I start to edge into outreach and all the kind of sweats that that might bring, let me just remind us that this is Jesus' work. You can't read that. Don't try. But the red is everything that He has done. Jesus Christ. He has made, brought peace. He has made one out of two. It goes on and on. In fact, in every time that we are referenced in chapter 2, it is kind of as passive recipients. And so before we sort of march out that door and sort of, you know, seize the day, that'd be cool if we did, but before we do that, we have to ground ourselves in the fact that this is Jesus' work. We are listening to Him. We are following His lead. And when it comes to us, this is something we can read, Paul will say, I was made a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of His power. This grace was given to me to proclaim. Friends, we cannot contain this grace. It has to come out in everything we do as the church. So Tuny Kids Week, for instance, it's not just an event, not just a fun thing for kids. It's an expression of our family longing to help young people particularly, but all people, imagine what it might be to look like they're part of God's family in the hope they will become part of God's family. Small groups, not just Bible studies, they are life and gospel communities, living out in tension what it means to be a family, but also not just, let me put it like this, not, not just welcoming, like anyone who came could come, but actually actively pursuing people because they are a family on mission, organizing themselves to reach neighbors, colleagues, friends, entertaining it's not just something we do around the barbecue. They are, they are gospel hospitality moments, practicing the way of our Savior who, who dined with sinners. What does it look like for every part of our church to be framed by being a family on mission? We are the spirit-filled public household of the living God. We could do nothing less. But let me ground this some more. What's our place in this? You know, I'm sure it's sort of uh, after two years of, you know, COVID, maybe you would have preferred a kind of sermon series that said, oh, we're pretty tired. Let's just catch our breath, enjoy some fellowship. <laughs> I want us to do that. I really do. I want us to do everything out of a peace, a restedness that comes from being embraced by, the, by our Savior, the one who says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I want us to do that and be a family on mission. Because after this reset moment, it's also an opportune moment to bake in the identity that I feel God has called us to. And the only way I can imagine being a family on mission if we are tired, it is not to somehow just pull our socks up and sort of, you know, bust down the doors in our own strength. No, we'll exhaust ourselves. 
The only way I can imagine doing that is by holding out our real life that's upheld by grace. And so you could say things like, I am weary, but I couldn't imagine of get, get, getting through this season if it weren't for Christ. We have to own our testimonies, the way God is at work in us, because this is Jesus' work. But also, we're not all evangelists. So it takes a pretty special person to be able to take someone who is called to Jesus and bring them all the way to that moment where they repent and believe. Evangelists, we ought to kind of raise up, train, equip, send out, uh, let, us, let them inspire us, but we're not all of that. And yet, I do feel that our church is called to proclamation. So how might we do that as a church? where one person's able to do part of that, another person's able to do that, knowing that together we are pulling together with an intentionality, a whole ecosystem of proclamation. Now, I have experienced a wonderful fellowship here, an expression, a real expression of God's family, and I am thankful for that. So when people ask, what is my vision for the church here? It's that we would be a family on mission. The vision I have for this church is the same that all churches have, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Uh, that is, that we are called to make disciples of all nations and that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. Our job is to ask Jesus what and who He is calling us to. What are we already doing and what, we, what has He called us to in this part of the world that He's placed us? As we finish out, let me share some next steps that come to mind. And I said, this is actually going to blow out for several months. It's going to be the longest sermon ever. No, no. Uh, let me share two things that I've noticed. Uh, and it's, I don't mean anything by these, it's just things that I've noticed. Most of our growth is coming from Christians moving into the area or, or moving from different churches. Again, don't mean anything by that, it's just an observation. Secondly, we have the highest concentration of Tamil speakers in the whole country on our doorstep. What are we going to do about those two things? Now, it's not something that I can go away and sit in my study and, and in the privacy of my study, pop out kind of the whole strategy, wheel it out, and we all march to the beat of my drum. That would be almost an abuse of power, but it would also be kind of a failure to be the family together on mission. Now, if we do anything about these things, it's actually going to unbalance us. And, you know, just, just as we sort of regathered from COVID, we've just got a sense of balance, and here's Mark saying, oh, here we go. It's going to unbalance us, which is why I'm calling us to practice a conviction first, that we might come to uh, and be centered in who God is and how He has forged us and the mission He has given us. If I might uh, gratuitously use a, a metaphor that I might end up stretching too far, and if it doesn't work, the other services won't hear it. So here we go. Um, a while back, I worked in the aviation industry. Some of you knew that. And I was always fascinated by fighter jets, particularly. I worked on a RAF base uh, where a few fighter jets would sort of do touch and goes and whatnot. And I was particularly fascinated by the aerodynamics and the control systems, yes, I was a nerd, of fighter aircraft. Uh, did you know that, that fighter aircraft are typically so unstable that, that you can't actually fly them with a simple joystick that just connects to the control surfaces of an aircraft. Uh, you would fall out of the sky in seconds. Instead, 
Your joystick goes to a computer uh, that, you know, when you bank to the, to the left with your joystick, it's not just the ailerons that move, it's like every control surface flutters and, and moves so that the aircraft might move because it's so unstable. It's just the computer system does such a good job of stabilizing that instability. Why am I talking about this? Brothers and sisters, we are not on cruise control. We are called into the cosmic drama where Christ reigns over all things. And yet Satan really does prowl, even though he has lost the victory. All sinners saved by grace uh, is, is what we... Uh, sorry, as sinners saved by grace, that's the only reason we can ever fly is because Christ is at the centre. He is our control system. And we must stay agile to, to what is happening around us, to meeting the needs of those God has placed around us. And our every faithful bold action, our every conviction, will only achieve the fruit of the kingdom because our actions go to Christ the control system, Ooh, yuck. Uh, our king, who then practices out his sovereign rule to grow his kingdom. A friend of mine helped me think about this agility to God's calling like this. When he meets a neighbour, he's not simply trying to meet them and kind of, you know, quiz them. He's actually inquiring of them, what has God been doing in their life to this point? And what is God calling me to do right now for this person? Do you see how that reframes everything? And I keep coming back to these gospel goggles. Let's not look at sort of mere mortals as just kind of, a, a kind of what's before us with our, with our mere mortal eyes. We are part of a whole spiritual realm. And it's our job to participate as co-heirs in the full breadth of this cosmic drama. At the beginning of this year, I put out a little survey just to get a bit of a missional temperature of our church, and it was actually really encouraging. And I, I thank you for those that participated. I think I had 75 responses uh, from across the church, and I asked one of the questions, uh, when you think about sharing your faith, what best describes your thoughts? And most of us think it's important to create opportunities uh, or be ready to share when we have opportunities. I, I asked, um, in the last six months, have you been able to share something about Jesus or church with someone? And most of us have had that, have either sorted or had it dumped in our laps. Either way, this is encouraging stuff. And yet, I feel like there's a big gap still between what we want to do and the little things we are doing and being able to see year on year the celebration of people coming into Christ's kingdom through baptism. And what I mean by that is that any year that goes by where we don't see that kind of fruit, we ought to just give thanks for that, those that God has gathered and yet also practice a kind of holy discontent, longing for more people to come to know Jesus and asking God to use us in any way possible. Over the last uh, few months, I've tried to be as proactive as I can uh, in, in sort of just grounding myself in this community, partly because for the first time in my life, I actually really do risk bubbling in. So my vocation as a church pastor is kind of living on the church site, hanging out with kind of church people. My kids now go to a Christian school for the first time, and so there's my mission field gone mostly. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like... How Sam Chan kind of helped me in his little book, uh, which is called How to Tell People About Jesus and Not Be That Guy. And he talks about combining our worlds. 
And so I've sought to kind of overlap my passions and interests um, so that I now am looking at joining a cycling club. Uh, not, and, and, you know, it's easy to kind of, uh, sort of use Jesus as an excuse to sort of just do things I want, but I, I, I'm really keen to meet people outside just the bubble God's placed me. It's also meant that I've now got to know the name of every single one of my six neighbours across the road, over the back fence, this way. And, and I've, I do feel like God is actually using me to speak into the lives of these people. I've made significant progress with one guy who wrote me off instantly as a, as a Christian hypocrite to now having a beer in the backyard and chat and shop about life. He recently had a knee reconstruction and I was able to pop across and offer him some help. Friends, let us take the intentionality, let us be courageous to take every little step that we might practice in our gathered state and in our scattered state what it means to be a family on mission. Now, this is going to take us months to work out because I'm just starting with kind of what the Scriptures are calling us to. What this looks like cannot be a simple sort of three-minute application sort of section of a sermon. In fact, I think what it means is over the next several months, we need to work this out as a family so that we might be a family on mission and I've enlisted a few people to help me with that. I asked John Nevermani, uh, who's a member, a subcontinental man in, in, in the next congregation. Uh, I sought him out with his experience in leadership, his Christian uh, maturity, but also uh, as a Sri Lankan man to help me think about what it looks like to reach our subcontinental neighbours. I've asked him to co-lead a small group. I'm calling the Mission Focus Group because strategy leadership team sounded yuck. Um, and that group will actually engage us as a church over the next several months. Uh, through small groups, workshops, uh, and a whole surveys, other, other things. We haven't, even, we haven't even met yet as a team. It's been a month of working just to get to our first meeting uh, this week. Uh, and, and do pray for us as we meet on Wednesday night that we might help you as our family press into what it means to be this family on mission. And God willing, we get to Vision Month at the end of this year and we're able to stand up with, with something resembling a two-year plan that we might not just long to be a, a growing, diverse family, but that we might be able to lay down some tracks on how we earnestly might seek to be that growing, diverse family. Are you with me in that? It's not really my vision. It's simply what I believe it means for us to be a family on mission, a spirit-filled, public household of the living God. Nothing more, nothing less. May all the glory be Christ's. I'm going to pray, and then you can uh, have a go at sort of uh, taking a phrase, uh, a feeling, a word, uh, chuck it into the QR code, and we'll see what happens, but let me pray. Father, you have called us from so far off. We were dead in our sins, and yet by your mercy and love, you have made us into something entirely new. You have now called us into this church family. May we express the grandeur of who you are, your character, your love, your pursuit of the lost. That we might hold out a light on top of this hill so that many might come to know you and enjoy the fellowship that you have called us into. In Jesus' name, amen.